0: I think checking your motives and figuring out what your real goals and dreams are, are super important for people. I think if we can get to the heart of why we do what we do, that's really a value add. I think it doesn't matter the methodology and the logistics of how you manage your money. That's not as important, in my opinion, as the goal you're trying to reach with those resources. And so that's one of the first things that I share with people is let's get real clear about what your goal is, because the rest of this doesn't matter if you don't know what your goal is. If you don't know exactly where you're headed, what's the point in getting in the car?
1: This is the Personal Finance Show. Hi, I'm Beau Humphreys, and this is the Personal Finance Show. Erica Young wants you to be intentional and have a plan before you spend any money. This applies to every single situation that involves money, which is pretty much everything. As Paula Pant says at the beginning of her podcast, you can afford anything, but not everything. Unfortunately, because of loans and credit cards, we think we can afford everything. This happens to too many people. They make good money and can pay the bills, but the bank account doesn't grow and the credit cards stay at the same level. When you start out in debt, that's what you know, and it becomes normal. But living on credit creates this mindless spending, which can easily get out of control. You make decisions without thinking, and sometimes those decisions have consequences. There are so many people like Erica who could easily break free of the mountain of debt that they're trapped under. If only they would step back and have a closer look at their financial situation, and whether their spending habits align with their financial goals. One day Erica looked at her low bank balance and her high credit balance and asked herself what's going on here? The process she then went through was so motivating that she knew she wanted to help others achieve the same thing. Erica launched tailor-made budgets in 2005 and has been helping people change their money habits ever since. Erica joined me from Indianapolis, Indiana, to share her personal finance story.
0: Well, some of my first early memories of money management and what that looks like were both good and bad. And so to start off my story, I really need to begin to talk about some of the things that I saw that weren't so healthy. And those included being around family members who went from paycheck to paycheck. You know, my mother told me when I was young, when we had to go clothing shopping, I'd hear her say, wait till payday, or I don't have that right now, or the answer is no. And so I got some negative money messaging where I started to feel like, well, there's not enough going around. Like, how am I ever going to make it when I get older? Because I had a single parent, you know, household And my mother was trying to figure all of that out, and she did it verbally. And to be honest now, I appreciate that. But I think for a while, it sort of messed me up mentally. Like, oh my gosh, is money really stressful? Like, I had this anxiety about it a little bit because I knew that there was a lot of feast and famine going on in our household. But every so often, when I was little, I had a grandfather. He was around a lot, but... When the holidays came, which is every so often, my granddaddy always gave me cash. Like he dealt with cash. So some of the positive money messages I got was, one, that he had money to give. Two, that he used cash. And three, like honestly, he could be counted on. He was consistent. And he purchased a car from my mother with cash. And me being able to see that was, you know, (laughs) life changing because I thought, First of all, this is possible. Second of all, my grandfather must have some money,
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know,
0: and, and third of all, I want to do that one day. And so that was a positive memory that I have, even though some of the upbringing, you know, there were some messaging that had my mind sort of in a different direction. And, and I think it's valid for a lot of people to start to unpack some of that stuff because not all of it is bad and not all of it is good and it shapes who we are today if we really go back and think about what those things have done to us and what we think about money today and how that's really impacting how we utilize it how we respect money how we control it or not control it or even how we go after it like how important is it for us to to really increase our our net worth and and to make something of ourselves out there in the world and so my past experiences and the things that I saw growing up around money have shaped the way that I kind of want to raise my kids. I don't yeah. want them to think that money really is, is finite. I want them to see that the world, that they have so many different options and different ways to make money. I also don't want them to think that in our household that it's always no. Maybe it's not now. Maybe it's let's put it in the budget for next month or what have you um, versus a flat, you know, wait till payday type of deal. I don't want them to see or to feel or to sense that money does not happen fluently. Like you can bring it in. You can earn something new. You can go get a job. And I tell them that all the time. I've got teenagers right now, so they need jobs. (laughs) And so um, when resources are low, there's always a new way to go find some money. And so I don't want them to feel like being cash strapped or having um, challenges in that area is your end result. And then I also love cash. I just, you know, seeing my grandfather um, pay for a car with cash was huge in my book. And so I love knowing that there are possibilities out there for me to be able to do the same and for me to be able to purchase a car for my kids and for them to know that there's no payments on that and that kind of thing. So love being able to have those types of examples and bring it into today's life. It doesn't always have to be negative experiences that shape you. It could also be the positive ones um, in your past where money is concerned. And I, I like people to tap into both sides of it so that we can have some balance
1: too. So you had this, this contrast when you were when you were younger, your mom would have probably had to say no a lot, right? Right, right. Yeah. And so you don't want to pass that on. She maybe didn't have the opportunity to make more money?
0: Yeah, she actually was a you an know, employee. She worked for the state and she had a fixed income. And um, there were mm. times when she did get a part-time job, but actually my mother did that in order to put herself through grad school. And so oh, wow. I okay. saw... Work and reward right there in my household, and I knew what hard work looked like, and I admired her for that. And it's just. There were times when we were told we couldn't do something because the money wasn't there. And I think that that's a typical case for a lot of single parent families, single parent households. There's the resources aren't as great, obviously, but you still have the same type of overhead expenses. And so being able to see her, you know, be successful in raising us and <laughs> we were still able to do some of the fun things and we were still able to go on some road trips and things like that. I, I appreciate it the sacrifices that she made in order for that to happen. But I also know that she would have preferred, of course, that there were more resources available to her. And um, when she needed them, she went to work. And, and those are the kinds of things that I share with my clients, my family, my kids, for sure, is that, you know, when you need more resources, there's a good place to go and it's to work.
1: <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that. What about your grandfather? Do you know the source of his money? Did he, was he also hard work working hard when he was younger? <clears throat>
0: Yes. Actually, my grandfather um, was a pastor for most okay. of my growing up. Um, I honestly don't remember a career before that. He passed away when I was about 17. And so I know that that entire time he, he was a pastor and he was able to, like I said, save money, be generous with the grandkids, as well as to his daughter-in-law, which was interesting. He He was my mother's father-in-law who bought her the car. And so those types of generous moments, he was able to do without a whole lot of stress and strain on his finances, which I think is amazing.
1: Like You like the idea of being able to buy something for cash. Did you like the idea of being able to do something good for somebody else too in the future?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think if we Deal with life with closed hands, we're missing out on so much. And Mm. a clenched fist is something that I really try to avoid. So I really want to open my hand, which means that more money can come in, but also be free to allow more money to go out as well. And so being able to give to great causes, being able to help other family members, being present, you know, when situations arise, and I can help a missionary get where they need to go um, or take a trip myself. Um, My family has actually done that. We took a trip to Haiti to do some missionary work. And so being in a position where you can be a part of that kind of thing is also a reason To not just make more money, but also be of service to other people and then be justly rewarded for that in terms of payment. I think all of that is a worthy cause. There's nothing inherently evil, wrong, or too capitalistic to make more money, I think, as long as we have some balance about how we're using those resources and being responsible with it um, in the end as well. I think checking your motives and figuring out. What your real goals and dreams are, are super important for people. I think if we can get to the heart of why we do what we do, that's really a value add. I think it doesn't matter the methodology and the logistics of how you manage your money, that's not as important, in my opinion, as the goal you're trying to reach. With those resources. And so that's one of the first things that I share with people is let's get real clear about what your goal is because the rest of this doesn't matter if you don't know what your goal is. If you don't know exactly where you're headed, what's the point in getting in the car?
1: It's crazy how we just, we don't start with that, right? Everyone's just like, you know, get that job or whatever. And then you start making money and then, then what? Like the, we we don't start people out on the right foot, which which should be: What are your eventual goals with money? What are your values? What would you like to do? It's not just about, you know, like let's start amassing as much as we possibly can. (laughs) Right,
0: exactly. Well, and I'm in the season of life too where part of my goal is to help my kids start off on a better foot than I did. Yeah. My story starts off with a whole bunch of student loan debt when my husband and I, you know, connected. And I don't want my kids to have to deal with that. And so what are we doing? Not just financially. So this isn't just a financial legacy, but how, what am I teaching them so that they make good financial choices while they're in college, in addition to teaching them how to exit college and be a responsible financial human being. And so that is where I'm headed. I have a high school sophomore now, and then I'm going to have a college sophomore as well. And that's the season of showing them what it looks like to live on your own and how you manage your money and things like that. And so when my youngest is talking about, I don't have any money I'm like, okay, well, this is a good time to go to work. (laughs) (laughs) And um, she's got opportunities, but she has to follow through. And I'm not going to follow through for her. She has to take those initiatives. She has to be able to feel the pinch of not having what she wants so that she can actually get up and do something about it. Those are the kind of lessons I'd rather her learn under my roof than to find out later when she's out of work or she hasn't found a job or what have you, and she's got debt to pay. So we're really working hard to not only teach them financial responsibility, but also Put them in a position where, when they come out of college, they don't have student loan debt just as we did
1: that's so great I mean i I kind of wish everybody had a personal finance expert as parents I um, know huh <laughs> <laughs> right, it would, it would, it would make It would make things a lot better, or if we could just like hey can you can you take care of that part of my kids uh, my kid's life yeah. which is what we 're trying to get people to do right and, and right. Uh, hopefully it's becoming more of a thing to be like, okay, so you want to figure out what you want to do. Uh, I'm not really well equipped. I'm a doctor or whatever, right? Whatever it is I do every day. Uh, But, you know, Erica and Bo and listen to all these podcasts and read all these blogs and then come back to me and tell me what you've figured out. I like that that might be the future. And, uh, you know, for, for those who aren't as lucky, as your kids, maybe that's what is going to be happening.
0: Well, hopefully it is. The funny thing, though, is my kids don't think they're super lucky. Like they, <laughs> they, <laughs> they. I think I'm raising a, I definitely believe I'm raising an entrepreneur. So one of them will certainly go into entrepreneurship, but the other one wants to be far from numbers. Now she will respect money matters and she's doing a good job of handling her own money right now but I don't think they're going to follow in my footsteps. They are sick of hearing about a budget. They they understand the whole money thing and sometimes they're like, "Okay, this is where mom comes in." You know what I mean? Like they get it. My kids knew the difference between debit and debt at the age of 3 and 4 and all of that. <laughs> so, it's kind of a blessing and a curse for them to have um money mom versus just a, a mom who's out, you know, doing something different with her career because they kind of try and finish my sentence or stop the conversation because they know what I'm going to say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's no different from having uh, other kinds of professionals as, as parents. You know, my That's my true. parents were both in the dental industry. So you can imagine I heard about my teeth a lot. Right? That's right. I'm sure it, everybody has uh, something about whatever their parents do. It's just like enough. Right. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> when you're kids anyway. Right. That's right. Now that's I'm right. glad I, I, I got braces and I took care of my teeth. I'm really happy about that. There you go. Um, but at the time I was like, oh, no, why can't I just have terrible <laughs> teeth? So <Right>. uh, <laughs> why do I have to have braces in high school? Right. So, <laughs> yeah, that's even true. Even though it was the best way. It was the best thing, right? Okay, I want to get back to, to definitely your, your stu- how you got the student debt and uh, how you're making sure your kids are not getting into it. But we got we to go back to your learning about money. So you got these general views from watching people. And then when did you actually start making some money of your own? Did you have to start early to help out with expenses in the house? Or was your mom able to take care of that?
0: yeah she was able to take care of that however when i wanted a vehicle or needed a vehicle that that first Mm. car died pretty quickly (laughs) and i needed another car and she couldn't help me with that financially and thank god i had a summer internship where i was able to get a vehicle but I had to take on those payments. Like I don't think that that was a smart thing for me to do. My mother let me do it. You know, she allowed it to occur. But, but how um, old were you? Oh man, I was like eighteen, nineteen, and okay, and I yeah. had a car payment. Um, Just finishing high school then. I was one or two years removed from high school. Okay. Um, and it was a summer internship that I had, and I did have a job. You know, in college, I. Was a resident advisor and then I was a resident director, and so by the time I was a you know a senior or in my last year of college, I did have you know money coming in where I can take care of things. But still, that's a big thing to have a car payment while going through college. And I, I'm yep. certain I had that car payment for a good three years.
1: And it was all student loans uh, for for your school. Yeah, you know, it was from, from a lot the beginning. of beginning.
0: It was a lot of student loans. By the time when my husband and I added it up between the two of us, when we finally got married right after college, it was very shortly after I graduated college, we got married and we added up our student loan debt and it was approaching $45,000 together. Plus we had two car notes, my car note, his car note, and between us, seven credit cards.
1: Just stepping back just for a sec. Yeah. Was there ever any thought of saving for school, any talk about that in high school? Or were you able to make uh, like any money in high school working, any of that stuff?
0: Sure. Yeah. So I, I did have summer jobs. I didn't typically work during high school while I was in classes. I had other things I was doing. I was a cheerleader and chasing boys and all of that. You're, you're, um, yeah, being a
1: teenager, yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But there wasn't talk about, like, my mother couldn't save for college. My grandfather saved some money for us, which was great, but my mother and father were not able to save for college. They periodically would give me money while I was there just for food and things like that, and bought my books and, you know, the simple things like that, but they were not able to contribute in a large financial way. My grandfather did contribute. You know, several thousand dollars towards my college tuition. And then I also, one of the biggest things that my mother said was just start looking for some scholarships. And so I did the yeah. in state college route, I did scholarships. Um, so my first year was largely paid for. And then okay. after that is when I really had to one, maintain some of those scholarships that I had, and then two, find other ways, which was a lot of student loan debt, um, to make the rest of it work. And so I was a five-year college student. And so I was in engineering, I did the College of Engineering at University of Michigan. Thankfully it was you know (laughs) in-state tuition, because nowadays my youngest daughter wants to look at the University of Michigan and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's out-of-state tuition. (laughs) <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, but yeah, the, some of that onus was on me to go look for some scholarships and do some programs that would um, help cover some of my expenses and some work studies. So I worked all through college in some type of way. So I may not have done that in high school, but I definitely did that in, in college and and was able to reduce my expenses a little bit. But when I got that car, that was that was problematic. Like I made the payment. I never had any issues with that, but it forced me to grow up and be responsible. So I had to work. And sometimes that's good. And sometimes it isn't. I mean, it definitely can affect your grades. It can affect um, your ability to do some things. And, And so I was real serious about making certain that I had internships and some Form of income coming in. I think it's a catch twenty two. I think it also depends on the child, on the student, because I'm almost certain my my grades would have been better if I didn't have to work. But I also find that if you don't have any real life work experience, it can be a little devastating when you when you have to work um, a forty hour work week uh, once you come out of school and you're not really cer- certain how this how this works. I mean, it's, it can be challenging for a lot of people to make that transition. So I didn't have a real problem with that, but I also didn't have a 4.0 GPA.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. it's. I mean, how can we balance all this? I mean, you're absolutely right. And I was talking about this with Robert Farrington uh, as well. Uh, yeah, who, the college you know, guy. To, yeah. He, t- he talks about this all the time, is that, yeah, like if you don't have any experience in high school or university working, sorry, I say university, I'm Canadian. Sure. Um, <laughs> yep. Then you're yeah, you're gonna be in for a bit of a rude awakening when it comes to figuring out how to work. It's yes. it's a it's just a completely different thing, right? They don't really teach us how to do that. You have to experience like a, a nine to five to know what it's like and do it consistently and not just like, you know, on a on a Saturday every so often. Sure. So yeah, so I the reason I wanted to step back for that was because I wanted to just understand that you You knew you would have to rely on student loans there was really and and scholarships there was no real other option for you
0: absolutely i I knew that, and honestly, I was okay with it. I mean
1: okay that was there normal. wasn't it was talk a, of anything the, the, different the so the do. truth
0: of the matter is that i wasn't blindsided. I think where sometimes parents tend to go wrong is they make their kids think, oh we're going to take care of everything, and then when they see the cost of college or when they understand because the cost of college is astronomical. I mean, it's very different from even when I went to school, they have this whole idea that I'm going to be able to make it happen, or they let their kids believe that even if they don't believe it. And then the kids start signing for student loans, because that's just what they think they're supposed to do. Uh, And it gets really Outrageous nowadays. I'm seeing people. It is very common for my clients or people to come in who are needing some help with their finances to have a hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt.
1: It's uh, it's unbelievable.
0: It is.
1: And they're it, not making. They're not even making a hundred thousand. No, no, nowhere for, close. For maybe uh, it could be de- a decade before you even depending on your industry you that's may right. never make a hundred thousand dollars right. so like how can you have i i always like to to think that you should never well you should never have a lot of debt uh, of course if you can avoid it but like it's it's almost uh unmanageable if your debt is more than you could even make gross in a year
0: that's right that, it, oh. it is it's it's devastating and to be clear most people come out of school nowadays with you can easily say thirty thirty five thousand dollars in student loan debt and that's just undergrad we're not even talking about grad school and oh, yeah. and then, depending on your like you said your industry, what are you actually going to where are you gonna go <laughs> where you can make enough to be able to be real successful in paying that off aggressively, especially if they haven't set up the other foundations, like you need a car, you need a place to live, you got to put clothes on to, you know, for said job, you know, establish yourself. I mean, the interesting part of the story that I typically don't hear from parents is how they help their kids set up their life um, yeah. Because that's costly to furnish an apartment or hopefully, you know, if they're moving across this, you know, moving across across the country or going somewhere different, how do they help them with that? Typically, that's not something that's discussed. They're like, oh, you're done with college. Like I finished helping you get there and I'm I'm done here. I'm done.
1: You're on your own now. <laughs> yeah.
0: And, and they don't have
1: skills for that.
0: Right. That, that whole transition can be challenging. And it was for me. Definitely. Like, yeah, we were married, but my husband didn't have a job for a couple months. I didn't get paid for a good month when I started my job.
1: <laughs> and your student loans. So you, you, you both have had about 20 something then in student debt. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Yep. <laughs> that must have ballooned then while you were waiting to pay it off?
0: Actually. So no, we had the flat 10 year plan. Okay. to be able to pay it off. We had some private loans. There was less than $5,000 in private loans. And then we consolidated our student loans together, which sometimes is good and sometimes isn't good for people. For us, it worked out where we consolidated our loans until we had about forty, forty-two thousand dollars $42,000 in student loans consolidated. And we had one payment for 10 years. And so it was supposed to be $451.21 every month for 10 years.
1: Okay. Wow.
0: I have it down to the penny. I will not forget that number. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Your life is planned out. for. It's like getting a mortgage, I guess.
0: It It is. I mean, and that's more than a lot of card notes right now.
1: Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly.
0: And that was tough. I mean, it was the thing that was hard to pay when my husband lost his job. Or when I was out on maternity leave, it was like, oh, this stupid student loan, <laughs> you know. It, it
1: was always there. It's just, you know, you, you you did you always make it a priority to pay that?
0: Yeah, we had to. When my husband lost his job, he was out of work for a good two months. And during that season, if I'm not mistaken, we were about a year away from being able to Pay off all of our student loan debt, so we weren't being aggressive at that point. Of course, paying down on it, but we just paid the minimum and tried to keep it moving. Of course, if it had gone too much longer, I think we would have had to defer it. You slow down a little bit on some stuff when when life hits you a curveball. But oh yeah, um, and and for some, doing a deferment or a forbearance is totally reasonable. We didn't get to that point because he wasn't out of work for for that long. But you get to those places where you're like, can I afford to pay this bill? That's the question of so, the day.
1: <laughs> so the student loan didn't grow. A lot of people, like you said, with the the forbearance or the, the deferment, some people's lo- loans will double, uh, which is right. ridiculous to me. But that's another story. Um, <laughs> right. And, yeah. But you, but you were amassing other debt as well.
0: Most of the debt that we amassed was in car debt. So when I paid off that okay, first car yeah. I just talked about, we got another yeah. one, of course, right? Okay. Um. We had, you know, a little one early on in our marriage. We were a year and a half into our marriage, and we had a baby, and and then four years later, we had another one. And so with each child, we were like, oh, we need a car. We need something safe, reliable. And that's that's the whole thing that we always say is we need a safe, reliable car for this baby. And I'm like, you know, a safe, reliable car does not have to be $20,000, <laughs> yeah. you know? And, and so hindsight is certainly 2020, <laughs> 20, right? And so we did replace a vehicle. We, When I was on maternity leave with my first child, early on, I mean, the car died. I mean, the, the car literally died. Oh. And it was, it was only, think about this, Looking back, it was only, I'm saying only a $1,000, but at the time, we didn't have a $1,000 to get the new engine in the vehicle. So we went for two months without that vehicle and carpooled and did what we needed to do. It was hard, but we did it. And and what do people do when they don't have money to resurrect a vehicle? They go get a car note. And that's exactly what we did. We were like, okay, well, we can't do this much longer. I got to get back to work. We got a car note.
1: Yeah, and so you and you mentioned—did you say seven credit cards?
0: Yeah, we had seven credit cards.
1: Like, what are you doing with all this credit? And and at what point did all of it come in?
0: Oh, most of that credit was accumulated in college. Believe it or not, so we yeah. were those. Oh, okay we were the suckers who got the t-shirt and got the free pizza on college (laughs) campus and said, yes, I'll sign up for this. Sure. I want this card. And, and so frankly, I mean, I only had like three myself and my husband probably had four, but, and they weren't, it wasn't like they were $5,000 balances. They were, you know, 500 here, 300 here. And, but it all adds up. I mean, yeah. and and then you have payments on seven cards. When we realized it, when we woke up, we were like, this is nuts. It just made no sense. We, it was almost where it was just fun in college to use someone else's money. And I'll deal with that later. That's, that was the mentality.
1: That's what we're taught, right? Yeah, uh, so, uh, which is really oh, it's just so backwards. For, uh, I mean, for what you're teaching people now, of course. Right. What, yeah. Like, w- what was the lo- what was the lowest point, would you say, in terms of uh, the carrying debt? And I imagine that was uh, probably a catalyst to start turning it around.
0: Actually, the lowest point, there were a couple low points.
1: <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but that makes sense.
0: Yeah. One of them. And it's a small thing but it was impactful and I won't ever forget it was, you know, I was working as an engineer at Motorola and oh, wow. typically, you know, engineers make decent money, but I wasn't able to use my debit card or my regular checking account to pay for lunch out with my team. And wow. I had to use a credit card repeatedly and I was hiding that from my husband. So it might be small to spend ten here and $10 there. But the fact that I couldn't share it with them was shameful. And the fact that I didn't feel comfortable saying no to my coworkers because I couldn't afford necessarily to go out with them. So I just hid it all by saying, forget it, I can do this. And I put it on a credit card. My husband is the one who took the credit card away from me. When we had a heart to heart about that, and he's like, why is this balance not going down? <laughs> and, and I can laugh today, but I've felt like the dog with the tail between their legs like oh my gosh i can't believe this is happening um over 10 dollars here 10 i didn't think it was a huge deal
1: what was the actual reason for all of the debt was it just not paying attention
0: it was it, it, okay. it but it was also when you think about how money flows in and out it was a real cash flow issue so okay. it it was it seems easy enough to pay a bill at that time to write a check or to make a call or to send in payment online or whatever, that part's easy. The hard part is to add it up and see how much have I spent, like what are all of my expenses and all of that. And so if you think about it, we had this student loan debt, we had two card notes and we had seven credit cards. Our total amount out per month for debt alone was over a thousand dollars
1: just on minimum payments. Minimum payments. Wow.
0: Exactly. And we didn't have the wherewithal to understand, like, when you get paid on this day, you still need to have groceries. You know what I mean? Like other parts of your life (laughs) need to still be able to happen. And so the confusion started when my husband was like, why don't we have any money in the account? Yeah. And that was like the beginning conversations of what's really going on here? The bills are getting paid. So we didn't feel that crunch. But why don't we have any money in the account? And so we started having these conversations. And then he started looking at the credit card statements, and he started, you know, doing some investigating. And then he was listening to Dave Ramsey on the radio, and and so it it just began to. I don't want to say unravel as much as blossom into an awareness of our financial situation and. We both came from single parent households and neither one of us wanted to live feast or famine, but we saw ourselves going down that path. And so the only way for us to really get some wholeness is to be honest and then lay it all out on the table. So that's what we did. And we just said, okay, here's the moment. We've got to figure this out. And then we added up all of our expenses and we realized that we can't blindly pay bills or live life. We have to be intentional and have a plan before we spend any money. And that in and of itself was life changing. And so that's what led to me being willing to give up the credit card and us deciding, okay, that's not a priority. And also just saying how much is reasonable for dining out with coworkers. Um, how are we going to make this happen if it's important? And if it's not, you know, it's okay. How are we going to handle those types of situations? Um, both of us carpooled several times. My husband actually took on a second job during some of that season and he actually got his master's degree um, later on in that process. It, you know, we went through a lot of different steps in order for us to not only get free of the debt, which it took us like our total debt became about $90,000. So between our credit cards, the car notes, the student loans, all of that, the debt amount that we paid off was over $90,000. And it took us about five years to do that. Um, There was one year of awakening in that. (laughs) (laughs) And, And then the rest was, let's be intentional. And so we clearly had enough money to make it happen we just weren't maximizing on it
1: isn't that crazy like because a lot of the stories you hear are about about maybe even both of the spouses are doctors right and right they're right. both making making killer money but somehow yeah. they don't have any money in the bank that sounds similar to your situation not as bad as the ones that i've heard with like millions of oh there was a one dave ramsey <laughs> the one that's got the millions of views on youtube <laughs>
0: Right, right. Where
1: they both call in and it's like, we have a million dollars in credit card debt. <laughs> uh,
0: who in the world loans that kind of money to somebody? That's crazy. <laughs> well, that,
1: yeah, that's another, the whole other podcast episode in itself. But yeah. there's a Dave Ramsey method of of figuring all this out. Did you, yes. Did you go there?
0: We did. We did. Actually, we... Yeah, my husband is actually the one who found Dave Ramsey. And then we decided to go to one of the live events when we lived in Arizona. And about three months later, we said, okay, enough is enough. It was in that process where we realized we couldn't fix our car. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that was sort of the line in the yeah. sand. We said, oh, th- we cannot sure. allow this to happen again, where we get another car note and and all of that. And so we just said, okay, let's do this. And so we took his class and tried to get all our friends to do it. And that's when our journey started to actually getting out of debt. Prior to that, we were just coasting. That's the honest truth. Prior to that, we were just coasting, living, doing what we thought we needed to do. But after that is when we got really focused and said, extra money needs to go towards paying down debt. And we started off with like $66,000 per year in income. I mean, we didn't have an exorbitant amount coming in. But as those, you know, over time, as we got raises or bonuses or squeezing the budget sometimes and just saying this month, let's just pay this thing off, we started to be intentional. And I think that's the big difference is to know where you want to go and to make certain that no thing is going to get in the way of you getting there. And- yeah, because
1: you, you could have just, you know, you would have got your raises and, and, and uh, bonuses and and they would have it might have just gone to other stuff or more right. minimum payments it's funny how we think oh I'll when I make more money but it it isn't that simple is it
0: That's right that's right a lot of times when people make more money they spend more money that's right and, and people find it super easy to make payments and now it's super cool it's the end thing is just it's not necessarily credit cards but it's everything on payments it's buying um, you know, a lawnmower on payments. You know what really?
1: I mean? Um is this, it, this is trendy now? This is uh, the trend? It, it's easy,
0: right? Oh, it's, it's easy. easy. Yeah. So for years people have been sort of rent to own their furniture and things like that, but it they make it easy for you to buy A mattress, for instance, or like I said, some furniture or some equipment for your lawn or what have you, or a furnace or new windows. I mean, you can get all of this on payments and never touch a credit card and never have to refinance your house.
1: You don't even have to qualify. for Like they basically... Will they just yeah. approve anybody, a lot of these places?
0: Well, it, it's it's a little easier to get approved, yeah. <laughs> especially if it's a home improvement type of thing. And so, oh, yeah, um, yeah. because there's this home, right? I mean, there's a mortgage or there's value there um, or there's an appreciating asset. And so um, it is, it's really easy, especially if you've got great income. Sometimes just having a good income will allow you to get approved for some things. And so, because a lot of people can rent or lease a home on a great income and poor credit.
1: They just want to know they're going to get their payments, right? That's so right. That's right. That's what a lot of them will look at. I that's mean, right. that's how that's how payday loans work, right? Yep. So yep. it's <laughs> it's a slippery slope though, right? When you, It when is. You get in. I mean, you know, you had uh, all of these payments. What if both of you, uh, what if you lost your income uh, at that point? Have you ever, have you ever considered uh, what might have happened? If like well, at the peak of this, you would have lost yeah. the ability to earn money?
0: Right. Yeah. like That's interesting that you even say that because at first, it, I knew I wanted to keep working, but I knew that I didn't want to keep doing that job for oh, 10 yeah, okay. years or for a long time. And so there was this season of change, especially when I had my second child where I was like, ooh, I don't know that I want to be away or not at home for all of these lengths of time. So I toyed with the idea of coming home and taking like the voluntary severance from my company. But we had debt. There was that season where my husband lost his job. And thankfully we had a little bit in savings. And by that, I do mean a little bit. We had something there, but his layoff period was short. And so we didn't necessarily have to do too much finagling in order to get through that season. We considered it. I'm glad that we didn't have major issues where he was out of work for six months or I was out of work for a while because I was the breadwinner for a while. Um. It, yeah. it, it didn't, the, those tables didn't change for like five or six years. I could not step away from my job. And if I lost my job, it might've been a different story in terms of how we handled that. I think a lot of people need to also understand that they have to have money and savings in order to weather some of these storms. And, and you can't rely on credit cards for those emergency situations because at some point you're going to have to pay it back. And you're not certain. I meet a lot of people who use credit cards in the interim. And they're a little too free with it. They, they use, use it and they haven't decided to cut back on dining out. And...
1: Yeah, isn't that funny? Like, yeah. You don't, you don't get to maintain your lifestyle if you don't oh. have, uh, have... I mean, like, okay, I, I'll use my uh, personal example as an exception. I saved up a lot of money to live for these couple of years that I after I quit my nine-to-five job. I worked hard and I saved half of my mm-hmm. income basically for years so mm-hmm. that I could do that. Like yep. uh, that's an exception. If you don't have sure. any of those savings, then you yep. can't maintain that lifestyle. That's and that's what's supposed to be kick you into gear, right? That's that's yep. the kick in the pants <laughs> that you need. So if, if credit is, is removing that kick in the pants, well, how do we get out of it?
0: That's right. That's right. And and I think what I like to say to people is we have to create some healthy boundaries around yourself. So a lot mm. of people make great money. I don't I don't typically deal with or even get a lot of calls from people who are destitute. And by that, I mean living on $15,000, you know what I mean? Like there's not those extreme lows in income. I work with a lot of people who are making a hundred grand or more on average, and they just haven't done a good job of managing their money. And so they need healthy boundaries. It's it's really not about saying no to everything because I hate Mm -hmm. deprivation. It's really about how much and how often. And so don't say no entirely to dining out. Like that isn't realistic for most people. People say, oh, I never dine out. I never dine out. And then when we look at their spending for 30 days, they've spent $100 at least, right? And I'm like, (laughs) well, So so the reality is you are doing some dining out, even if it's just takeout pizza or, you know, Chinese, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It's still money going out. And if we're not intentional about that hundred dollars,
1: they don't even realize it's happening. So so what else is not happening? Right. Mm -hmm. What else are they not noticing?
0: A lot of times people don't notice that they still have subscriptions coming out automatically on their account. Yeah. They aren't paying attention to the fact that their insurance has gone up over time or their cable bill. And And these are some of these things are things that you can look at on an annual basis to see if you can reduce. They're not realizing that their kids have things in their closet with the tag on it that they've never worn, but yet they're still getting new clothing. <laughs> they're not paying attention to... The things that fall through the cracks, the money that falls through the cracks and and the things that they're not using or paying attention to those add up fees, for instance. You know, fees are one thing that that adds up for a lot of people. I actually had one person years ago that I had her add up how much in fees she was spending. And I'm not just talking about overdraft fees. I'm talking about just getting money from the eight from a, the wrong ATM.
1: Yeah, like $3 or what yeah, here Yeah,
0: and right. And and so when you look at that and it adds up to $100 a month or $200 oh, a wow. month, they are like, "Come on." People will come to me and say, "I had a couple of overdrafts." I'm like, "Okay, so let's add up how much that is." And this is a person making I had a a couple making $200,000 per year. And when they called me, their account was overdrawn by $600. It's simply not paying attention. It, it's simply yeah. not saying no. It's simply avoiding the delayed gratification. And I get that it isn't comfortable all the time. But if you want to get control of this, we have to learn what to say yes to and when and how much in order to gain control over it.
1: You know, I, I try to be sympathetic to a lot of uh, financial issues, especially because I went through a bankruptcy myself when I was sure. going through my addiction. Um, overdraft is still one that I don't understand. What it means to me, especially if it's on your in your bank account, in, in a checking account, I, I don't know, you should know what's, uh, what's in your checking account. Mm-hmm. Or, or if there's something that's coming out of it, you should know what's coming.
0: I think the challenge is that people, their lives have gotten so busy yeah, and they've allowed their finances to get so much more complicated that everything is coming out automatically and they see money in the account and then they feel like they can use it, but it's for a bill. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so yeah. Well, how do we have these two parts of our brain right like we yeah. know the bill is coming we we set it up to come out of the account and then we look at it and be like i can spend that you it, <laughs> you can't have it both ways
0: yeah see the problem is that they're not binding the pieces together and, and yeah, realizing that um This amount of money is untouchable. And so that's where I get into creating cash flow plans for people because a budget is one thing and I love budgets. That's the name of my business, Tailor made budgets. However, (laughs) a cash flow plan is how you do life. And how your money comes in and how you spend so that, you know, again, what those healthy boundaries are for your spending. So I know I've got one hundred dollars in dining out and I just spent 50. So I'm not spending more than 50. Right because if i overspend there it's going to take from something else and so i know what that healthy boundary is and and people aren't aware that at some point either the spending has to stop or they have to be intentional And this is where creating a you know a meal plan especially for families looking for coupons looking at how much your grocery bill is honestly one of the things that save not only my bank account, <laughs> but my waistline <laughs> is, <laughs> is not getting so much of the cookies and the desserts and all of those extra things when I go grocery shopping or sugary drinks and things like that. Those extra things that aren't quite necessary, not necessarily for nutrients. I don't buy them as much because or I didn't buy them as much from when my kids were growing up because those were easy things to eliminate and still be able to feed my family. And then when we wanted cookies, we made them. So then it becomes a project and it's this whole family moment, right? versus it being sure I'm going to spend $5 on these cookies and blah blah blah. It it really became when we wanted or needed it and then it was a little bit more special too.
1: And it tastes it tastes better. It does you make it yourself, <laughs> I learned how to bake pies when I was in university because i I really like pie, right mm-hmm. you know yep. if you find a good pie now, it could cost you twenty dollars it could yes. cost right for a decent like one that that's would right. taste the one like the one I make at home, so that's i just right. I save myself like thousands of dollars that's <laughs> in, right in pie and you know it it seems so simple, but you can apply this to so many things
0: and it's also about slowing down what I tell people a lot is just slow down enough yeah, just slow to, down. to think because I think we're so much on autopilot and oh, yeah. especially the busy families with little kids and going, 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 or even, you know, high school kids and they've got all these activities and all this. It really is okay to slow down. I gave my kids permission to take a season off of a sports or an activity so that, they can slow down. My daughter took a season off of her. She did um, color guard or winter guard, both of them. And she took a season off and she got a job. And um, she was very excited about being able to go and do an exchange program while in high school. And she wanted spending money. And so she made her choice and she took her spending money. That is healthy. It's a it's a good life lesson. It's a great way for her to gain some personal responsibility and we reevaluated it. Did it make sense for her she you know to do both or w- what makes sense here? And it it didn't. I mean, that was a $500 thing that we would have had to pay for um her going doing color guard versus her getting a job and then that money going towards her doing a study abroad. It was a much bigger value add and it's part of her goals. I'd rather that money go to somewhere that she's much more excited about. Slowing down to take a deep breath. We had a season when we moved to Indianapolis where I told both of my kids, I'm like, I want you to get involved, but it's really okay if we take this first season, this first semester and do nothing and, and just get to know people. Um, and that happened and it felt good. And so we weren't so overly scheduled that we couldn't do something on the fly, you know, because once the kids get involved in all these activities, your time is limited. And and so these are the things I think people are uncomfortable or they feel like there's a lot of parental peer pressure out there and it causes them to spend money, not necessarily flippantly or without good cause, but you have to really see does this line up with where we're headed and is this really what we want to be doing and let me talk to my kids and see what's most important to them
1: i love that yeah i love the uh, the idea of applying the intentionality to every to everything yeah uh, everything we do like uh, financially uh, but uh, but everything else too your example of Let's take the time to, you know, experience this new place that we're in. It's so much more valuable, right? Because then, like you say, you just get in there and you're just buzzing around like a bee. And do you even remember like any of it? Are you actually yeah. like, yeah, what, is, what do you want out of life is really the question, right? What are yeah. your goals? What are your values?
0: Right. And I almost made the mistake that a lot of parents make. I I, I was headed down that path, to be honest, because when we moved here, I thought at first, like, you know, you get involved and you make friends. Yeah, <laughs> And so yeah, yeah. I signed my daughter up. She's not really a sports type person. I signed her up, you know, to be on the wait list for volleyball. I was like, oh, this is a sport she's never done before. Maybe she'll like it. And then when they <laughs> called us and said, oh, we have a spot for her. She literally looked at me and was like, mom, please don't make me do this. I do not want to do this. I do not want to do this. And I was like, come on, you'll make friends. It'll be fun. You'll do something new. And I, I was kind of pushing her because I'm mm. like, you got to do something extra. You got to do something active. You got to do, you know, and she was like, mom, I really don't want to do this. And she pleaded with me and I listened. I, I mean, it was hard because I thought, well, you know, this is kind of going against what I thought you would need is to meet people. She was like, I promise I'll find something. And then I said, well, we'll take it easy. How about we'll just all of us just take it easy and none of us really get involved and we'll just see how this goes. And by November, she had found Winter Guard and she loves it. She did it for six years. Okay,
1: and wow.
0: and and so she found her moment and it and like it took five months between June and and. November. And it took some patience and some reevaluating for mom, (laughs) you know, but she found what she wanted to do. And even at that, she took a season off in her, in her high school career. And so there's something about us moving so quickly that sometimes we can miss some of those important moments that might make a real big difference in our kids' life and in our life. You know, I, one of the things that we do, we, we prefer to spend money on, you know, travel, I I would rather spend my money on travel than on a brand new car. So we get used cars. Same here. (laughs) You know, we get used cars and try and keep our expenses low so we can always have a place that we're going. And so those are the types of memories that I would prefer to create versus. You know, amassing so many things in the house that are collecting dust.
1: That's totally true. Experiences, it, whatever it is that is important to you, and don't just do it mindlessly. Yeah. So you 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 made this into a business, obviously. Yeah. You you mentioned tailor made budgets. Is your your company? You took the Dave Ramsey coaching program.
0: I did. Yes. So when we got out of debt, I started toying with the idea of helping other people do the same thing and how what does that look like what, you know how can yeah. i get that done i didn't actually know that he had a program i just started looking around in different places and i was considering all these programs and then as i was doing my research i realized oh my gosh he has a program and so i did i actually took my husband too so i paid for my husband to to come with me to the training nice yeah so he can catch the vision and get clarity about what it is i was trying to do that was a really good experience and i did that back in 2007 six i actually in 2005 is when i started letting people know that this is what i wanted to do i sent a letter out to everybody that i knew and and i said hey you know what i'm starting this business my husband and i got out of debt and i'd love to help people create a budget plan a debt reduction plan this is a passion of mine and i i would love it if if not for you if someone else that you know um who needs this type of help and so i got my first few clients from that and that paid for me to be able to take us both to to nashville and get trained And I've actually been one of Dave Ramsey's uh, local coaches for the last 14 years since then. Yeah. So so it's been even in transitioning from Phoenix to Indiana it has been one of the, the stable parts of the business for sure.
1: Yeah. So, and, and so you're, and you're speaking and yeah. you're, so you're coaching people speaking. What, what are the other things that you're doing as part of your business?
0: Yeah. So I do workshops. A couple of my workshops are budget. It's not a dirty word. And so I help people create a budget and a spending plan that actually works. And uh, I have another workshop that I do get out of debt for life. And so obviously it's on um, the steps to get out of, out of debt and stay out of debt, I also talk with teenagers and do empowerment type of workshops for them and and showing them yeah, how to not only avoid college debt, but avoid the pitfalls um, that come when you go to college and then how to transition into a, a real career and working life and how that how that makes sense. I give them a picture of my life and what it looked like for me to have the student loan debt. And I'm very honest and transparent about that, why it's important for them to avoid it. And then I balance that out with showing them if they stay out of debt, what it would look like for them to become millionaires. And they they get super excited about it. (laughs) Starting them out when they're, you know, with that in the back of their mind that it's possible when they're 18 and and being able to know that they can actually have a solid financial future is, is super cool to be a part of. I've written a book and it is called Naked and Unashamed, 10 Money Conversations Every Couple Must Have. I love working with couples. I enjoy them being able to get on the same page with their money and to have a safe place that they can talk about some difficult issues. So that's... One of the projects that I I launched that out in 2017, and it is something that I use as a tool, not only for my clients, you know, for my clients all get the book, but also when I'm doing speaking events and being able to have that as a tool for anyone who may not be ready for coaching, but needs a resource or who's looking to be a part of, you know, or have me do a speaking event for a workshop or a company or something like that. So that has been a good resource as well that I, that was my last baby that I birthed. I'm not, I'm not having any other children.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You can, you can do like coaching and workshops uh, anywhere, right? Or do like the coaching online, I guess uh, you somewhere to do the workshops.
0: Yeah, so I do local um, workshops where I do those in person as well, but um, on Lunch and Learns, things like that. But I do virtual ones as well, where we, you know, have a month long program that I take people through. So you can be anywhere and get involved in some of those online um, coaching programs that I do. And of course, if your company is looking for someone to come in and do some financial wellness, that is something that I, I enjoy, because I love being able to change a workspace. And, you know, where people go every day, and they trust each other. And then they start to ask each other how they're coming on some of their financial goals. And so I love being able to do that because it takes some of the burden off of their minds while they're at work. And they don't have to worry about their finances. They, They have some, you know, a new way to feel like They have a game plan and so they don't have to worry. They can shift that to um, being a more productive employee at the job. So um, I love that as
1: well. And uh, the thing I like about coaching is that it crosses borders. Because you know you're not you know the, the core of this is not uh, put buy this stock and put it in a Roth IRA or, right right, <laughs> right? Exactly. which wouldn't yeah. make sense to me because I'm Canadian, but coaching yep. and you know the, the budget stuff and the cash flow plan, this is universal. It
0: is Yeah, it is and it's something that everybody needs. It's a skill that you everybody Yeah, everybody needs it and everybody will use it for the rest of their life because even when you're out of debt, You could have no debt, but still need to learn how to manage money because you still have bills. You still have to put food on the table. You still have to manage a household. Like These are things that still need to happen. It's a life skill, and getting good at it is vitally important for
1: everybody. It's kind of like micro debts, right? Like We have these little debts that (laughs) even putting something on a credit card for a week is still a debt that we have to pay and having a bill, a a phone bill or the heating bill, it's like, you know, we don't, we don't pay in advance for these things. That's right. uh, Which is an interesting uh, way that it's all set up, right? It's all set up to have us owing money. It is. um, And having to manage, like the whole world is set up for cash flow management skills that nobody has. That's right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. But
1: that'll keep you... And mean business. <laughs>
0: That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we're thrown out here into this world to go, we're told to go get a job go make it happen, go create a business or whatever. And we're never told what to do with the money when it comes in. We're confused. And we're like, well, I'm, people say this to me all the time. I know I make enough money. I just don't know where it all goes because no one taught them it. to see where it all goes. I, I taught this to my daughter when she was in high school and I said, okay, so how much are you spending? Blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, I had set up some things for her and, and she hadn't been looking at it. And I said, okay, so let's do this exercise. We added it up and she had no idea that on snacks at school, where she could swipe her card. She was spending $30 Uh, a month. She's like, oh, it's just a dollar. It's just a dollar. It's a dollar. But guess what? It's a dollar or two every single day you're in school. So it was like 30 bucks. And she was very surprised because she didn't see the dollars adding up. And and that's what a lot of people aren't taught to do is to actually see the impact of their spending. When we spend on a debit card, on a credit card, any type of plastic, we don't feel the transaction. It doesn't register that something actually occurred. When we hand a $20 bill over or some cash, we are now like, hold on a second, do I really want this? It gives us pause. It may not stop you, but you recognize that a transaction has occurred. And that's the difference.
1: I I always wonder, do we keep teaching our children to use cash when it seems like it might be well in the states it's more prevalent but like for in australia for example nobody uses cash in in kenya nobody uses cash because it's all mobile payments and your cash is going to be stolen for example mm, yeah so right. like you know do we keep uh, you know in here you know we have cash but i i don't use cash very often i've had a 20 bill in my pocket for weeks and weeks mm-hmm. yeah so like do but but your example is that that's still more powerful or do we need a different way to teach about right. You know, plastic, right?
0: Well, you know what? Because cash is still available and possible here, it makes it an easier conversation. I'll say that people tend to spend less when they use cash. But if you're going to use credit or any type of debit card you have to pay attention to what you're doing. The only way it makes sense to use any type of plastic is if you're paying attention to what's really going on and you have safeguards up for yourself so that you're not overspending. And People have to be committed to that part of the process if that's the way they want to go. I don't have a problem if they want to use the debit card all the time. It's just, are you looking at it on a weekly basis to see how you're doing or how you're tracking towards your goals and how you're um, staying within your healthy boundaries? And that's the key. People aren't looking at their money enough to know whether or not they're staying within the healthy
1: boundaries. I, I love that. I think I think there, there should be like you should have to sign an agreement whenever you get a debit <laughs> or credit card that every time I use this, I'm going to be uh, paying attention to it. Yeah. You have, like that, that should be part of the part of the package because you're right. To, without doing that, it just gets away from you so fast easily. And, and we don't want that to happen. Well, this has been a great conversation getting to know you and your story and what you do now to help people is so, uh, so great. So thanks for coming on the show.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
1: And I'll see you in September in D.C. That'll be awesome. And that was episode 88 with Erica Young. If you like the podcast and want to see me get to episode 100 and beyond, please support the podcast by going to my Patreon site and becoming a patron. It's only a few bucks a week, but if enough people do it, it starts to add up. Head over to patreon.com slash Bo Humphreys if you're interested. I am now offering free 15-minute personal finance consultations online. I'm a personal finance coach, so if you're looking for someone to help you get organized, head over to bohumphreys.com and click on the banner to book a free 15-minute consultation with me. We'll chat about your situation. You can decide if booking an hourly coaching session is something that might help you get moving in the right direction. That's it for this episode. I'll be back next week with one of my favorite personal finance people and founder of the hugely popular blog, Budgets Are Sexy, Jay Money.